Welcome to Samford University's Campus Worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. I don't really want to start talking. I did not go to a college that we got to do this. We didn't raise our anthems to the king and say, you are so good. Most of the anthems of my college we raised to ourselves. And just to stand in here and hear your voices and, and your worship, you are incredible. Like, I want you wherever I go. I, I sat on the front there and I worshiped. I go give talks at UAB Medical School. I don't worship. I go to my own alma mater and I walk and I just feel darkness. And here there are just echoes of generations who paid for that slate or paid for these windows lifting their praise it's a special place you have there are lots of bible colleges there are lots of religious institutions that teach people about the lord that teach people to walk in his favor and there are lots of academic institutions like mine at Rhodes College that will train you to be an excellent academician, but you are rarer than the unicorn tattoo that Matt was telling me he has on the back of his little area down here. I, it was, we had a good conversation. You, you are rarer than that. For, for a decade, my wife and I have talked about sending our kids here, not to where we went to school, but here. Every time I drive on your campus, I see that sign that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbors yourself. Do y'all know where that is on your gate up front? Or have you been here too long? I think it's easy to come somewhere like this and take it for granted that this is kind of standard. Like other people get to do what you get to do. And they don't. Like... Other institutions have that written on their gate, and they have left it far behind. And then institutions like my own that were started by the church have made sure it's no longer on the gate. But your, your leadership and Matt and Kath, we had a great time visiting. They've made sure that they're not just writing it on gates, but they're writing it on your hearts. Sanford University is a special place. And you came here not to just learn biology or become a pharmacist or a business person. Please tell me one of you guys is going into ministry because you should. Um, you didn't come here just for that. You, you came here that you might integrate your faith walk with this knowledge that you're gaining. And I know you guys are busy. It's almost exam season. I promise not to waste your time this morning to try to connect you to something that will serve you in your exams and even far, behind, far beyond. As we go there, as, as we discuss this idea of finding your place in the field, I just ask that you bring a little reverence of this place that you have here, of this institution that has said, you matter. And the God in you that matters most will make your life better than all the people around you. 
that you will use that to change this world of ours. Our governing scripture for the day, Ephesians 1, verse 15 through 23. And if you'll forgive me, I grew up before cell phones, and they, they make me nervous. Um, although I'm going to take one picture with my mind. Um, my parents never get to go with me or ever hear me speak because they're in South Louisiana. If you would just wave right here at my parents, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, there we go. Okay. They're like, you're at a Baptist school because no one's sitting on the front row. Um, they're Baptists. They're good with that. They think you're very spiritual for sitting halfway back but not quite all the way back. Ephesians 1, verse 15. I'm just going to read it. Just receive it. When I was in college, this guy, Tony, he was 30-something years old, and we were in an integrated church, which was fairly rare in 1992, in the middle of an inner city of Memphis. And he came to me and said, what's your favorite scripture? And I said, Tony, I don't have one, but I'm meditating on this one right now. And he needle-pointed. I always get crochet and knit and needle-pointed needle pointed it into a thing that still hangs in my office today. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You're working on that here. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. We just celebrated Easter at my church. Did anybody else do that? Nobody Greek Orthodox raised their hand. They're going to celebrate it in a few weeks, right, Matt? You went to Bible school, I think so. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly powers, the heavenly realms. Same power that raised Jesus that we just celebrated three days ago at work in you and me. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Skipping just a few verses, Ephesians 2.10, and then we're going to get to it. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. God, I thank you. Rather, people came just to get a convocation credit, came to seek your face came tired, came energized. I pray for your great power to work in them today, to will and to act according to your good purpose, that they would know your incomparable great power for us who believe, that you would reveal yourself to them today and your will to them today. Reveal it to me too, in your mighty name, amen. I am pumped to be here today, like just... How many months ago did you call me? Two or three months ago, somebody sent me an email, and I have not stopped thinking about this. A couple weeks ago, Kath sent me an email and said, what time you're supposed to be here? I sent her back an email and said, what am I supposed to wear to something like this? She called me and she said, Dr. Record, 
we know you well enough to know you're not cool enough. You're not going to fit in anyway, so just come as yourself. You guys look good. I've been up since 5.30 in the morning because when you have four kids, one of them's bound to wake up early. I've been up since 5.30. You guys probably just woke up an hour ago and rolled out, barely had a cup of coffee and said, I'm going to get over to chapel, yet you look good. I was trying to decide what to wear, and I'm a middle-aged dad. I have khaki pants. I show up, Matt said, wear khaki pants and a golf shirt. I show up, Matt's in a tie. I'm like, bro, you cannot do that to me. I even wore my cool shoes. I had ankle surgery a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, and my buddy's the Puma rep. So I get Puma shoes for $20, and middle-aged dad's based what a shoe looks like based on what it costs. If it costs $20, it looks really good. If it costs $100, I don't really like how that looks. So my buddy got me some $20 shoes, and I was like, you know what? I work in this city. Rihanna wears Puma. I'm all about the hip-hop. I'm going to wear me some Puma shoes. Right? You know what I mean? Like, I may be middle-aged, but I want to be cool. So I come home, and I show my son, and my son said, Dad, you do look like somebody famous, but just not in hip-hop. And he went and got on the Internet, and... Um, Evidently, I have the Ellen DeGeneres look. And so, um, <laughs> you know, she's famous, she's cool, she's blonde-headed. We're both from Louisiana. I, I guess I'm going to stick with it. When you're, when you're a dad, you wear stretchy khaki pants and whatever feels comfortable on your shoes. I'm, I'm really not cool. My communications professor would say, never put my hands in my pocket. Already violated that and would tell me that I need to find some way to identify with you, to seem relevant, to try to make myself seem cool. I can't do that. Um, I wasn't cool in 1989, and I'm not cool in 2017, so I'm not going to be able to identify in that. So I feel I'm just going to have a come-out-of-the-closet kind of moment on something here. Um, I'm just going to say it out loud. I like minivans. I am minivan cool. So I've had three iPhones in my life. We are on our fourth minivan. Four minivans. My wife, is, my wife drives the minivan. I drive a pickup truck because my friend sold it to me real cheap. I almost came home in a minivan. Actually, I did come home in one of his minivans. And my son, who picked on me for looking like Ellen, looked and said, I just feel sorry for you. I feel sad for you. I'm like, no, minivans are really cool. They're practical. They're convenient. If they would just have about this much clearance so I could drive over curbs and park anywhere I want and have some mud tires so I feel tough like my home, I would have a minivan. So we've settled it. I'm not cool. I'm not going to make you think I'm cool. I'm not particularly funny. I'm not going to make you think I'm funny. What I do know is that the Lord of all the universe has a plan for me. And right about your age, I kind of found it. I kind of want to talk to you about purpose, except I hate the word. Matt, how many sermons have you heard on purpose in the last 25 years? It's about as tired as the word salvation in the church. I love Rick Warren. I read his book when it came out. I, I love his church. I love his, his social media feed. I just don't know why every pastor wants to preach his sermon. I'm, I'm, I, and yet, every time I go to a different church, purpose, 
purpose, purpose. I want to talk about purpose, but in a different way, and maybe under a different phraseology. And instead of from being an international pastor who accomplishes great things, from the lens of a family doctor who takes care of the poor in Woodlawn, from the lens of a guy whose friends are prostitutes and homeless people and addicts, and say, I want to talk to you about purpose, but not a purpose that puffs you up, but a purpose that gives you peace. Now, I'm a minivan guy. I'm a suburban dad. I already told you that. What do suburban dads do? What do over-the-mountain dads do? We go jogging. I used to be a runner in college. Now I'm a glorified jogger. I'm a little bitter about that one. We play golf. I would have killed myself as a 14-year-old if you had told me I was going to play golf for fun. I play golf for fun now and really enjoy it, which makes it even worse. So we go running, we play golf, and we mow the grass. That's what we do. We mow the grass. Now, in medicine, we take care of people, and there's a great deal of satisfaction. One day, this lady who was a street walker and had HIV and was a good friend of mine and been my patient, came in with shoulder pain. I put, a, I put an injection in her shoulder, and she went from not in pain, I mean, from in pain to not in pain right away. She was like, ooh, Dr. Record, I want to kiss you. I'm like, got one of these, baby. Otherwise, definitely. <laughs> but most of the time in medicine, what I'm investing in is the future. I'm putting you on a cholesterol medicine so you won't have a heart attack 15 years from now. I'm taking care of your blood pressure so you won't have a stroke 20 years from now. I don't get a lot of, I was in pain and now I'm not in pain. I want to kiss you, Dr. Record. I'm okay with the I don't want to kiss you part, but I don't get to see the fruits of my labor very often. But when I mow the grass, there are weeds, there's pine straw, there's leaves, everything's out of order. And about two or three hours, I sit there with my Honda mower with a bagger, because you don't want thatch in the yard, and it goes from looking awful to beautiful. And I'm like, that's my little piece of Augusta National. That's my grass. I did that. Dad did that. I'm the dad in this house, and I made that grass look good. I like mowing grass because I feel good about it at the end. Now, being from Louisiana, I'm having to deal with something I didn't deal with down there. Matt can testify to this one. So in Louisiana, we have three seasons. Hot, that's the first part of the year. We're in the season of hot right now in Louisiana. Then darn hot, which lasts about till October. And then we get a little respite we call fell. Y'all would call it fall, but ours it's like it was darn hot one day. We had a couple days of cool. All the leaves fell off the trees, and then it's just hot again. Here we're in what they call a transitional climate. And we have all those seasons, but we really kind of have an extended fall. We don't have winter. And my leaves fall from September to April. I am dealing with leaves. Now, I mow grass, and when I finish mowing grass, it's done. I look good, and I did that. I don't listen to Spotify. I don't have earbuds when I mow my grass, okay? See, I just proved I'm not of your generation. I keep showing differences between us. 
it's probably my most spiritual time because I don't have this dumb thing to bother me. I don't have anybody texting. I don't have email. I just, for the most part, meditate and pray and talk to myself. About October or November, I was mowing my grass. There was no grass. I'm just using my bagger to get up the leaves. I already didn't want to be there because it wasn't the satisfaction of the grass looking better. And as I'm picking up the leaves, about an hour and a half in, like a thousand leaves fell off the tree. Like as I'm doing it, they're falling. You ever done that, Matt? Anybody else did their parents' yard and as you're getting leaves up, they're just keep falling? Well, I went off. I started cursing the leaves. Curse you, leaves. Curse you, the fall of Adam. It is your fault. Curse you, leaves. I cursed the tree. You were the, you were the son of a pine tree. You have, you have no purpose in existence. You're not pretty in summer. You're not pretty in fall. And I hate you right now in the name of Jesus. Curse you, tree. And I was cursing the leaves on the ground. I got so mad, I was cursing gravity. Curse you, gravity, for pulling these leaves off this tree. And in the middle of my meditation... In my frustration, God caught me with something. Gravity. Gravity is always doing work. Right? I mean, gravity is nonstop working. It never says, I need a sabbatical. I'm going to take a couple months off. You humans just float around. I'll be back. It never says, I'm going to take the weekend off. Be careful driving. There's not going to be any friction because I'm tired. Gravity is always working on those leaves, whether they're in the tree, whether they're falling or on the ground. Gravity is doing work. And unlike me picking up the leaves, it is not getting tired. And I began to ask the question, how do I live my life with gravity where I can do work without getting tired? Now, you guys are just out of high school, in college, taking physics classes, things like that. Somebody on one of the front rows, I have one dollar on my wallet, and y'all can have it at the end. What do you remember about gravity? It's, gravity's not work. It is a what? Who said it? It's what? I owe you a dollar. Gravity is a force, right? Gravity is a force. There are four fundamental or four elemental forces in the universe. I'm not going to ask that one because you will really show me up on how smart you look. And maybe you remember this from high school physics. There's a strong force, which has to do with quarks and how they form together into hadrons and become neutrons and that kind of thing. And that strong force is just the strongest force in the universe, pretty much. And we understand it to the degree we think we understand it. Then there's a weak force, which has to do with bosons. That one's always been beyond me. And it has to do with beta decay and those kind of things. Then there's electromagnetic force. Remember, light is an electromagnetic wave. The electron is moving that, and the magnetic wave is moving this way. And then the electron's spinning around an, an atom, have an electromagnetic force that are tying them to the atom. All of those are called quantum forces. We understand an elemental particle that's involved in that force existing. Gravity, I had surgery, otherwise I would have jumped a lot higher. Gravity 
is always working. We feel it all the time. We remember Newton's apple. But do you know how much scientists actually understand about gravity? Nothing. They've never found an elemental particle. They've tried all kinds of things like string theory and all these other theories to tie them back together. They even have one theory called the theory of everything, of how these forces align. But gravity confuses and perplexes. They can measure the force, but they can't explain the force. Now, some of you are smart enough to remember from physics what causes gravity. Um, Matt, do you remember? Did they, t huh? And they said, well, that's close. And, you know, that, especially as a music person, I mean, like, perfect. So the sun has one kind of gravity, right? And we orbit it. The earth has another kind of gravity, and the moon orbits us, right? The moon has another kind of gravity, and an astronaut can jump and jump much higher than they can jump here on earth. What's the difference between those three bodies? It's mass. So the more massive an object, the more massive an object like the sun, it has one kind of gravity. Then the earth is less mass, another kind of gravity. Then the moon, even less mass. So a different kind of gravity. They're each able to exert a different force based on their mass. When you're huge like me, Lots of force, massive, lots of gravity. So mowing my grass, picking up the leaves, I began to ask some questions. How do we develop mass in our life that we might have gravity, force, purpose, to be able to accomplish John 15? John 15 says, this is my will for you that you bear much fruit, that you accomplish much work. How do I have that mass and have that gravity? So I started meditating on some questions, and I want to share those questions with you today. You may want to write them down, but you probably won't because I don't know why. So the mass questions. How do I answer those things that give me mass? Tell me if I'm wrong, okay? So you can, you can phase out if I'm wrong. I was a college student. I would ping pong between this idea of absolute trust in the Lord, absolute I believe in you. I know I am called to X, Y, Z, to just crazy thoughts like where am I supposed to live? Who am I supposed to marry? What am I supposed to None of these guys do that. This is the cool crowd over there. They look at you and say, all these girls want to marry me. I get it, guys. I just was never you. I have the stretchy pants on, okay? How do we find that mass? The first question I came up with is, what is the gospel of Jesus? What is the good news of Jesus? And I started asking college students just like you. I've got a parade of college students, medical students, pharmacy students, people who think they want to be in medical ministry that come through my office. And I have a whiteboard. And we started coming up with questions. And they come up with neat answers that are theologically correct to that question, what is the gospel? But they're so wordy, they don't make any sense. And we came up with this finally. The good news of Jesus is this. 
All of you in the very way back, even with your hat pulled down so I can't see you napping. The good news of Jesus is this. He loves you. The God of all the universe loves you. Period. Needs no qualifier. A doctrine of sin is important. A doctrine of this and that are important. But the good news is this. The creator of the hadrons, the bosons, the elemental forces, gravity, the one who understands it all, loves you. When we understand that, we can ask the second question. What does that God who loves me value? And just quickly, how quickly can we ping pong? You've read the Bible and you've heard a bunch of speakers and convocation point experiences. What are some of the things you see in Scripture that God values throughout Scripture? Somebody better speak. You're already getting a dollar. You can talk again. Humility. God values humility. Come on, somebody else. Faith. Good. Come on. More things. I'm making eye contact with you. Don't do that. Come on. What's something else the Lord values? Hard work. I like that. Yes. Come on. Something else. Justice. Who said that? I love that one. All right, what's something else? So as I read Scripture, there are just unifying themes. You can read Scripture through different lenses. You can read it through a covenant lens and trace out the covenants. You can read it through different sections and say, this is poetry or this is prophetic or this is a gospel. But you, as you read it, will see unifying themes that pour out through Scripture. The first and foremost thing I see pour out through Scripture that concerns the Lord is His own character and His own glory. He seems concerned with that through every section of Scripture. He will not let people rob Him of His glory. He will show up and show out. I see in Scripture that He cares about the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, the weak. I see that He cares about love. I see that He cares about people. The great commandment, right, that we talked about is on your board out there, on your wall out there. The great commission, bringing other people to know his love and to know the gospel and redemption and freedom. He cares about these things. And as we begin to answer that question, what do you care about, Lord? Then we can begin to move from mass questions to gravity questions. And the gravity questions look just a little more selfish but not quite selfish. So let me walk you through these. I promise you we're getting close. First question, how can I take God's values from aspirational to defining my daily life? Have you ever found yourself like this? God, I know you care about the, care about the lost. God, I'm stuck at Sanford. Everybody here seems to be a Christian. What am I doing really for the lost? God, I know you care about the poor. I know you, your heart breaks when a little kid has not enough to eat. God, I'm a suburbs kid. I've never been hungry in my entire life. Nobody next door to me seems to be hungry. 
How do I join you in that value? God, I know you care about local church, growing the church. God, I'm 22. I have so much to offer, but my church doesn't realize it. Do they even read Timothy where it says, do not let someone look down on your youth? I have something to offer. Why don't they take me? They won't even let me do anything. How do we go from aspirational values to actually life-defining values? And only you can begin to answer that question. Only you can find places where you can plug in. Next question. Who are you called to serve and who are you called to serve with? How many of you have asked this question? What's my major supposed to be? If you don't all raise your hands, I'm going to scream and leave because you're all in the same. Okay. What's my major supposed to be? Where am I supposed to live? God, who am I supposed to marry? What am I supposed to do? The questions aren't wrong. They're just out of order. The question that comes before is, God, who am I called to serve? For me, at 16 years old on a farm in South Louisiana, God really revealed to me to serve the poor. He said, you are called to the poor. Now, I've tried to run away from that at times, but he'd never let it get out of my, out of my soul. And for some of you, you see Rwanda and you're like, I'm supposed to serve the people of Rwanda. And some of you see the people of Hoover. I am called to serve the people of Hoover. There's no one right place, but God is revealing to you a who. And if you will pursue the other questions and answer to the who, instead of into the answers of what, 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 what next, what if, you will find a better answer. Next question. Do you have a dream and are you pursuing it with fidelity? How many of you have a dream that God's called you to? Thank you for raising your hand. I did. I wrote mine down. At 17, I wrote down exactly what I was doing. I had never been in an inner city. I wrote down I wanted to be a medical minister in an inner city catalyzing community development unto the fame of the Lord. And I am doing that today. I tried to kill that dream. I tried to chase other dreams. And I would have different dreams come along. Like, I dreamed of being a professional basketball player. I'm 5'8". Since I had that dream of being a professional basketball player, two players shorter than me have played in the NBA. And both of them were much better athletes than me. That dream probably wasn't going to happen. I had dreams of being president. I had dreams of selling something. But all those dreams would come and go like a vapor. They, the sun would come up. They would evaporate. And they wouldn't come back. The dream of serving the poor through medicine, no matter how hard I tried to kill it, came back. And you have a dream. No matter how hard you kill it, God keeps bringing you back to it. And you can run away from it for a generation. You can run away from it for a lifetime. But if you will accept it and pursue it with fidelity, you will find greater peace in life. I don't know what that dream is for you, but you're having it. 
What are your gifts and talents? Where is God working right around you? What next step, if I took it, would make the most difference? So it's one thing to have a dream of being a medical missionary, right? I didn't get finished with residency until I was 31 years old. Had the dream at 17. Wasn't like I was supposed to spend the next 14 years waiting to walk in God's favor, waiting to walk in His purposes for me. What next step, like when you walk out of here, would bring God the most glory? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'm a redneck. I hear that verse and I think halogen, KC light, hunting deer after night when the game warden doesn't know. I think about those kind of things. Do you know they didn't have halogen lamps in first century Palestine? Do you know what they had? They had little oil lamps about the size of my hand. Do you know how much light they gave off? If it were pitch dark in here, I could light one up here and you couldn't read. They gave off enough light for one step. One step. And God is revealing to you one step even now. And the question is, will you take the step? And sometimes the one step, and Matt can agree with this, feels like this. That you're just walking in circles. There was a movie a few years ago, I'm really going to show my age, with Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Zones called Entrapment. And they're trying to steal something of great value. And they, she's going through a laser field in spandex. I don't own any spandex, but please don't see me in spandex. And she's bending over backwards and she's doing flips. They did it in Oceans 11, 12, 13, one of them as well. And sometimes it feels like God is doing that with our next step. It's like if I went and retraced my steps, they're just all tied in a knot, Father. He says, I know, but I'm getting you through that laser field to something of value, to something of worth, to something I created only for you. You are God's workmanship created in him for the good works he's saved you to, not through. Saved you for, to the good works that make you feel like the most authentic and unique version of you you could imagine being. So I have one little thing to end. It's not a salvation message. You're at a Christian school. It's not an altar call time. I want to take a test. The only person that's going to look is Matt because I, I want him to see this. And I, I have it written down. I know what the results of this survey is going to be. Okay? So in a room full of mostly Christians, and those of you who aren't Christians, I'm glad you're here. If you would just close your eyes, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a quiz. Matt, you can look. How many of you in here would say, I know that God loves me? Just raise your hand. Look around, Matt. I mean, it's wonderful to see that. Okay. How many of you, and you can put your hands down. How many of you in here, completely honest, 
you, you took the time to come here, you might as well be here. How many of you completely honest would say, I know without a shadow of a doubt, just the way I am with zero changes, the God of all the universe likes me and looks at me with great joy. Half as many has raised their hand before. Right? Go ahead and go ahead and open your eyes. So you're the first person for me to try this message out on. And I already see things I can fix it with. Okay? I'm not a professional preacher, so I don't have to feel too bad about that. I was at the beach at Christmas playing golf, which is what old middle-aged dads do, with one of my pastor friends, and I told him the concept. And he said, wonderful concept, Robert. But what's the one question, if your group answered it, would give them the most mass? And, and we talked for like four hours and took way too many golf shots. And at the end of it, this is what I came up with. And I'm begging you to hear it, okay? How does God look at me? Because if you think God looks at you dissatisfied, angry, frustrated, bothered, fail, if you think that's what he sees, it, it's going to govern your steps. And you'll live a life out of order. When I saw my wife at Rhodes College in her hippie dress, in her Birkenstocks, with the world's biggest smile, I looked at her and said, I like that. Later on, after dating her and getting to know her and spending lots of time with her. I said, I love that. But I liked that long before I loved that. And my heart's message for you today as you look for purpose is that you find the mass that makes purpose work right. Blow up a big red balloon. Big object, right? We can make it this big, giant red balloon. It has no mass. And a Christianity that says, God of all the universe is dissatisfied with me and can't stand me, has no mass. But a Christianity that embraces, even with all my faults, and I've got more than you, and even all my mistakes, and I've got twice the lifetime, so twice the mistakes at least, that you have. A Christianity that embraces Zephaniah, where he says, the Lord looks on me with delight. He rejoices over me with singing. A Christianity that lets itself be loved. Not just loved, but liked. I like you the way you are. Sure, we'll change some things for your own good, but I like you the way you are. That Christianity can change the world. That Christianity has gravity that produces force, that does work, that leaves no fatigue. So I come here today, I stop seeing patients, I 
I left the ministry of what I do day to day because I am longing for you to hear the clarion call of the Father that says, I love you. I like you. You are my child. I am well pleased. Let's enjoy life together. If you could hear that, it would make my day. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to get out of the way. So if you just bow your head. You're a good father. Father, I pray for the spirit of adoption to come on every person in this room, every man, every woman, that they would cry out, Abba, Father. That they would know you. Father, I pray even right now that you would express your delight to them. That you would bring them joy. I pray that they could have purpose and power in life to accomplish a lot and for it to be real. For it to be really from your heart father amen those of you who want to come see us in woodlawn we're available other than that thanks for having us bye-bye for more information about sanford university check out sanford.edu